What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hi, hello, Hardwood Knox people. I am Dan Pavale coming at you, as always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, is ecstatic that Royce O'Neal is going to be a lifelong Utah Jazz member, even though his new contract extension doesn't really take up the whole rest of his career, and he just knows that he's going to stay in Utah forever and ever and ever, co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we get started with our all-star picks and a little bit of trade talk and a little bit of Royce O'Neal talk, uh, we have our usual housekeeping notes. First and foremost, please continue to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We are still rebounding from our little plunge um, because of an event that will not be referenced anymore, at least by a direct name. So if you can continue uh, drumming up those ratings for us, uh, that would really mean a lot. Definitely rate, review, subscribe to us wherever else you're listening to this podcast, which can be anywhere and everywhere, if you please. And if you want to be a superhero, also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, even if you're using a different player to consume this content. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter, at Hardwood Knox. Also follow Hardwood Knox on YouTube, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. All our podcasts are being uh, thrown up there within uh, a couple hours of each episode as soon as possible. It takes a while to to process such big uh, files for, for YouTube. So youtube.com search hardwood Knox. follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D Bailey, follow me on Twitter at Dan Valley F A V A L E. And you can follow the blue wire podcast network on Twitter at blue wire pods. Lastly, but this is certainly not the least important note. We are going to be probably potentially, we think starting a premium podcast feed. Yes, that will cost money, but there will be a basically daily mailbag there. We've assumed maybe even with news updates, if anything big happens, uh, we will be test running this on the regular feed so you can get a taste um, for what it would be like. Uh, That's going to start within the next week or so. And so we look forward to doing that. If you have any preemptive feedback thoughts on that, be sure to hit us up on Twitter. With all that out of the way, Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited to talk All-Stars. We were talking about it before we started recording. I feel like I I had some legitimate anguish over the last few spots on each team. Ooh, anguish. Good word. (laughs) Um, Before we get there, I wanted to ask you about uh, two of the most important news notes that happened over the weekend while we weren't recording. First, we have the uh, Sacramento Kings-Portland Trailblazers trade. Uh, Portland sent Kent Bazemore, Anthony Tolliver, and their 2024 and 2025 second-round picks to Sacramento for Trevor Ariza, Wenyan Gabriel, and Caleb Swanigan. The return of Caleb Swanigan, the centerpiece <laughs> of this deal, going to Portland. Um, the Blazers saved a bunch of money off their their luxury tax bill on this, and I have them within around $6.3, $6.4 million of the tax now. So theoretically, um, there's a chance that they could duck it this season. But beyond that, 
I wanted to know what your impressions of this deal were for, for both sides. I think, you know, towards the end there, you mentioned the money savings. I think that's probably the biggest motivating factor for Portland. Um, Trevor Ariza, I don't, I don't think it's a hot take to say he's past his prime, although it seems like there's a pattern in his career that he certainly seems to play better when he's surrounded by other veterans and he's just sort of, he was supposed to be a smaller cog in Sacramento too, but um, the, the whole like mentor, the young guys thing just has never seemed to fit. Um, Trevor Ariza, they tried it in Phoenix. It didn't really pan out there either. So Maybe he'll perk up a little bit in Portland playing alongside Damian Lillard and, and CJ McCollum and Mello. But I, from a basketball sense, I just I don't really see what this trade does for anyone. Kent Bazemore doesn't really help the Kings. Um, I, I think you're higher on Kent Bazemore than I am just as a player generally. But this was a trade when the notification came through. It was just kind of meh to me. I mean, it just seems like a money-saving deal for Portland. Yeah, for the Kings, I think it was just – Good for them to get two second rounders for basically what yeah. amounts to Trevor Ariza. And shout out to the Kings and Suns now, both for getting value for Trevor Ariza yeah, on net point. negative yeah. money. Uh, for the Blazers, it was definitely a cost-cutting move. I also think, though, relative to this season, that Ariza is an upgrade over Kemp Bazemore, who was just terrible in Portland. And what is going to do is give you, to me at least, more uh, defensive optionality because he can guard the bigger wings, which is something Kent Bazemore cannot do. And he's been shooting the ball better of late, but also just better than Kent Bazemore, Bazemore from beyond the arc all season. And I am typically higher on Kent Bazemore, at least offensively than, than most people. And I'm sort of wondering if there's anything to the effect of because he's in Portland where there's there wasn't as much ball movement where uh, he's not going – where they didn't even put him in the Evan Turner role where he got to run um, some second units, that that's what really harshed his offensive value, or maybe he's not the guy that can just spend, you know, 95% of his time off the ball. And perhaps that's what made the fit wonky. Trevor Reese is someone who's used to doing that. And so if, if his shot quality goes up in Portland, I think it might be safe to say that it will, or if he just continues to hit threes um, at the slightly above average clip that he's been at, I believe over the past couple of weeks, it ends up being an offensive upgrade for them with more defensive optionality. So I don't love the deal for them because they did give up assets to cut money, but there actually was to me, at least a a talent, a slight talent upgrade for them looking at just this season. How about the Blazers needing overtime and 61 points from Damian Lillard to beat the Santa Cruz Warriors? That was, Uh, I love that you called them the Santa Cruz Warriors (laughs) as I stutter. They are, they're in trouble. And and maybe, like you said, I think <laughs> <laughs> I think you could argue that Trevor Rees is probably a short-term upgrade over Kent Bazemore. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Lillard just drags this roster into the playoffs because they're they're obviously still in the picture. Um, I don't know. With the way the Pelicans have been I know. Playing, the Pelicans are, are playing time. really, really well right now. They're about to get Zion back. I think the Grizzlies are pretty good. Um, I, I think they'll probably fade at some point. But that's it's going to be real tight. The Spurs are obviously still there. Um, it's just it's hard to bet against Lillard, but that that roster is just rough. Um, Yusef Nurkic being out is obviously a huge huge deal for them. But that that offseason just remains one of the more confusing things uh, that we saw this past summer. The Blazers offseason. Yeah, that's why it's tough to really interpret their season because they've dealt with so many injuries. When you look at yeah. Yusef Nurkic, Zach Collins, Rodney Hood, even. 
Scalabca, who was playing really well for them, is now on the shelf. The issue, though, is that their their off season you, just looked bad at the time. Like this isn't something that was a like a sudden development that they were short on wings. It, you yeah. let Aminu go, and now he's out for the year in Orlando. So how much does that matter? But you gave up Mo Harkless, and that was someone who gave you some defensive optionality, uh, someone who can guard the the fours. And, and some of the threes of the world. So there there were mistakes that they made where you could see them getting into this this pickle that they're in now where they needed to go out and get Melo. Uh, but also the fact that they're still in the playoff hunt at all in the West, which I know people have said it's not as brutal as in years past. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree because I almost feel like there's more, there's more competence between, let's say, like 13 and 12 or yeah for sure and then up and so that's what's contributing to the so many below 500 records uh just because more teams are equipped to steal games from more teams but maybe that's just sort of oversimplifying it still the fact that they're in the playoff hunt at all when they've dealt with so many absences when you just remove what they did over the offseason that's fortunate i would probably say it might be a minor miracle at this point fortunate and also a credit to lillard he's just been um, absurd this season. <laughs> yes, uh, but 61 points against the Santa Cruz Warriors and barely winning in overtime is not <laughs> is not what is not what not you ideal. Think. Yeah. Uh, oh, another quick note because you mentioned the Warriors. Stephen Curry for Marcus Thompson is on track to return on March 1st from his broken hands, which seems like this was a little bit of a lo- an elongated recovery. But yeah. you know, good for the Warriors in the sense that I think that's late enough where he doesn't ruin the tank, even if he goes on a hot streak and there they have to be the most carefree tanking team in NBA history, right? Like the vibe around that (laughs) team is not one of we suck. No, uh, for sure. I I think you made this point on a recent podcast, but this feels like the Warriors trying to see what Curry and Russell look like together before next season. Um, like you said, this this felt like a pretty long recovery for a broken hand, and, and maybe it really did take him this long to get back. But I think the timelines when he first broke it, you know, when everybody was playing Google or Twitter Doctor or whatever, um, was much shorter than this. So I think they deliberately were as, you know, as cautious as they possibly could be, but at the same time said, let's give us let, let's give ourselves a few weeks at the end of the season to just see what this looks like and decide, you know, do we really want to push forward? with a D'Angelo Russell, Stephen Curry pairing. Like how, how well do these two work together? And I think that gives them a few games to do that. Totally with you. The final news note that we need to get to is Royce O'Neal signed a four-year, $36 million extension with the Utah Jazz. The final season of that contract is only $2.5 million guaranteed. <laughs> what are your thoughts on, on that extension? Uh, I think it's a great deal all around. Um, you texted me right after the news broke saying that you approved. So that was a big deal. Um, <laughs> Royce O'Neal, I, I was on a radio station in Salt Lake yesterday, actually, and they asked me about this deal. And my first thought was, I, I distinctly remember, this is kind of weird, but um, when I was in law school, seeing the news that Utah had signed this guy, Royce O'Neal, I'd never heard the name before. So naturally, I look up his stats from Europe and they were just really uninspiring. Um, and my first thought was, what are they doing? I mean, this, this guy didn't really, you know, blow the doors off in Europe. So what's he going to do in the NBA? Um, and obviously they're a little bit better at identifying talent than I am because 
he's been phenomenal. Just a really good success story for their talent um, scouting department and development. I mean, he's, I think, one of the better 3 and D guys in the league at this point in his career. Um, he doesn't he doesn't need a lot of touches to be effective and to be impactful. Um, he's, he's just been a really big part of their success over the last two or three seasons. And I, I think this is a more than fair deal. I mean, this is going to be less than 10% of the cap going forward. And that's, that's a great deal for Utah too. That's, that's a starter that you're going to be paying, um, not a ton of money to. So I think, I think this is good all the way around. It's a nice success story for a guy who didn't make it to the NBA initially. Um, but now he's, he's landed a decent contract and I think Utah got good value. Yeah, I liked it for both sides. We tend to look at this from a team perspective, and I think it's a, a pretty winning negotiation for the team to get him locked up for what's going to amount, even at average annual value on your, under the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. And for O'Neal, I know there are people that thought maybe he should roll the dice until restricted free agency, uh, and he did sign for a hair below what his max extension was right now. But with so little cap space being thrown around, or being available this summer, there's no guarantee that you know someone would have given him more money. He could have ended up getting squeezed in restricted free agency and landing a little bit less in his next deal from the Jazz. And so I think it makes I, I think he could have rolled a dice and been fine, but I think that it's close enough to what his max was at this time uh, for the extension um, to where locking up the the long term financial security makes sense. And that's what that's what I think makes it a great deal for both sides. And and just specifically for the Jazz, he's now maybe you just maybe this is too strong, but I would say he was is their second most important defender after Rudy Gobert at this point, just because he's going to be the guy that's going to check some of those premier scoring wings now. And he's also shooting roughly one cabillion percent from three. <laughs> yeah, he's been that's the tricky thing about the lineup situation with Utah because I mean we've talked about this on the podcast. Ingles is clearly better at a starter, but how do you demote Royce O'Neal? Um, he, he's just been phenomenal in that role. I think you're right. He's probably their second most uh, important defender. And he's, he's. I mean, this is just a prototypical, um, like perfect 3 and D guy. He does both of those things so well this season. So great success story for him and, and just really good value for the Jazz. Now we move on to our all-star teams. Uh, I don't know how you want to tackle this. Probably just, I, I feel like at least maybe we should be on the same page with the starters for each conference, hopefully, but, but maybe not. Well, I don't think we will be. All right. That's seems fair. So let's start <laughs> with, you want to start with the East starters? All right. <clears throat> should I just throw all five of mine out there? I was going to say, you just want to, let's go with backcourt first and we'll go that way. Okay. Sounds good. Um, my Eastern conference starting backcourt, Kemba Walker. I feel like that's a no brainer. Um, and then Ben Simmons is my other guard. Okay. We have variants <laughs> All right, pretty quick. <laughs> uh, so my backcourt is as, as I leave the puzzle, I had Kemba. I thought that was a no brainer and I have Bradley Beal. Oh, I don't. Okay. Interesting. His look, his numbers, they leap off the page. He's averaging more than 27 and six. I know his efficiency is down, but the degree of difficulty on his role this season in Washington is just is bonkers. You he's never had to take more unassisted three point attempts, and so that is going to to drag his efficiency down. And I think it matters that Washington rates in this. I think it's the seventy sixth percentile. Uh, when I checked while I was doing research for this, of offensive efficiency when he's on the floor. And so I know the whole thing was the Wizards have this really good offense at the beginning of the year, but but it it has slowed. And so they're in the seventy sixth percentile. I just double checked of 
offensive efficiency when he's on the court. Um, when he's off the court, though, that drops to the 33rd percentile. And so he, or 30th percentile, excuse me. So he very much carries what is an otherwise bad team. And so I, I know that that some people tend to to reward winning, and I think that's fine. Maybe that's what you're doing with Ben Simmons a little bit, but I also have respect for the guy who's carrying a team on his own and just the numbers he's putting up, um, how how similar they are to last year, even though the efficiency has sort of dipped, they, they still jump off the page to me. All right, here's here are my takes on Bradley Beal. Um, here's the other side of the floor. He's got he's got an offensive rating swing that you just detailed in the 86th percentile, which is obviously huge. His defensive rating swing is in the first percentile. <laughs> Washington is giving up over 12 more points per hundred possessions when he's on the floor. Now, uh, basketball, there's five guys on the floor, and so you can't really fault one perimeter player for the defense falling apart but overall his his net rating swing is below the 20th percentile because the defense is just so bad with him on the floor um they have zero defenders and he's playing against it, starters it, it's it's probably not fair to attribute and next all to isaiah this. thomas fyi <laughs> but it's just hard for me to wrap my head around an all-star whose team it, net rating is six points worse per per 100 possessions when he's out there um his also, you mentioned his efficiency, and I think you you offered a very reasonable explanation for why it's down. But he's a below average um, player on true shooting percentage this season. I haven't checked all my guys to say, you know, it's it's a minimum qualification that you must be above average for true shooting to make the All Star team. I'm sure there are some guys I have on there who who are not. Um, but those are those are I think my primary reasons that he's not on there. The Wizards are bad. Um, he's below average efficiency and, and they're worse when he's on the floor. The wizards aren't just bad. They're, they're playing worse when their superstar, um, is on the floor. So that's kind of how I'm going to justify what happens with Bradley Beal. <laughs> all right. And care to justify um, ben Simmons Simmons at all? Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, <clears throat> I feel like we've reached a point with him where, and I, I, I think I've talked about this a few times lately, at least on Twitter, He's underrated to me at this point. All anybody ever talks about with him is the fact that he doesn't shoot threes, um, which is, I, I agree, that's probably a problem going forward. It would be a lot better if he could shoot threes. But this is a guy who's averaging 16 points, almost nine assists, almost eight rebounds, leads the league in steals. Um, I think if we were going to do a first-team all-defense right now, he would probably make that team. Um, his his point of attack defense is just phenomenal. And we're seeing just how talented this guy is during this most recent um, Joel Embiid absence. And if you just look at his last, well, I'll, I'll say five games uh, for Philly, he's averaging 24 points, 10 rebounds, eight assists, two steals, um, shooting 66% from the field. Um, you know, obviously five games does not an all-star case make, but he's just been, I think he's been so solid and consistent for them all season. It's not his fault there are some some potential fit issues with him and Joel Embiid I think I think he's doing fantastic with what he's been given yes it's always great when an all-star needs to be planned around to the point that he can't play with his other team's all-star <laughs> love it well I'll, I'll take out the last five games he's still been phenomenal to me um yeah I mean he I, made my I, all-star team so I can't yeah <laughs> I still think it's it's just ridiculous um how how the degree to which we focus on the shooting because he literally does everything else 
Um, one of the best perimeter defenders, really, really one of the best all-around defenders in the league. Um, so I'm, I'm rewarding his all-around play, his defense, and he's my other backcourt starter. Who did you have in the front court? Okay, Giannis seems pretty obvious. Um, Jimmy Butler, and then I got I got a little cute with this one, but I'm going with Demonis Sabonis. That's a terrible pick. That's I'm just going to call. It. I have Giannis, Pascal Siakam, and Joel Embiid. You are out of your mind with the Demantis Sabonis pick. 18, 13, and 4 um, for Demantis Sabonis. I, I'm doing a blind poll after this um, podcast for sure. Between Sabonis and Siakam. <laughs> um, his net rating swing, 93rd percentile. Um, offensive rating swing, 71st. Defensive rating swing, 95th percentile. Um, I so I, I should have done this before the podcast started, but I, I think a comparison of these two would be very very revealing. In what I, way? I, that Sabonis has be, played better this season than Pascal Siakam. Yeah, I'm I'm putting it together. I can't wait. <laughs> that is probably your worst take ever. That okay. I mean, look, hit, Let's... I'm I just well, Demandis Sabonis can't score in the same ways that Pascal Siakam can. Like, he's just not going to be the guy that's going to be able to score off the dribble. Doesn't really have the same range. We've seen Pascal Siakam really stretch his game beyond the three-point line over the past couple of seasons. Uh, I don't – I'm just – I'm shocked that you would say that he's been better than Pascal Siakam this season, who is a, the much better defender. Is going – you know, you, you reward Ben Simmons for his all-around defense, and Pascal Siakam is going to give you so much more – optionality on that end of the floor and I've never I mean if we're talking like second units like he can really anchor these these lineups on his own but if you threw him as like just the just the sole guy the number one option on his team I don't I don't think that those lineups are going to be be good at all like so I'm just I'm confused as to why like what the argument would be aside from passing that he is better than Pascal Siakam at Passing, uh, rebounding, better overall impact on his team winning. I, I just, I gotta, I can't wait to post the numbers on this. I, I feel like I'm going to be vindicated, but we'll see. I, wow. That's just, I, I don't know. Uh, Spoiler yeah. alert. I, I, I'm not even going to, what I was going to say is Siakam was like kind of on the fringe for me. Um, the 10 games missed was a big deal. And I just, I think there's more talent in the East than people realize he did get in. Um, but he was never really on my radar as a starter. That is wild to me. <laughs> uh, I mean, just even this look the Raptors, when they play without Lowry and have Pascal Siakam on the floor, plus 11.7 points per 100 possessions, offensive rating in the 89th percentile, <laughs> defensive rating in the 92nd percentile. You say this is- this is Siakam without Lowry. Yeah. The Pacers, yeah. when Sabonis plays without Brogdon, uh, 53rd percentile of offensive rating, 61st percentile of Did you just find rating. this just now? That that was incredibly fast. Yeah, because you're uh, <laughs> because this is a this is a terrible take. I'll even, no, I'll give not. you rebounding too. But I'm just not you could put the blind pull up however you want, but I just feel that Pascal Siakam's role is far more difficult than anything that we're gonna see from Sabonis and he's averaging like I'm just I can't even what did you say Sabonis was averaging 18 18 14 and 4 yeah I, the, the rebounding numbers are absurd but Pascal, no 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 18 13 and 4 sorry 
Pascal Siakam is averaging 24, 7, and, and 3.5, like 3.5 assists per game. He's shooting almost 38% from three on, on so many looks from above the break. I, I am flabbergasted. It'll be close. It, the, the comp's closer than I thought it was. Um, but I'm still going to put it up because I, th- I still think I'm going to be vindicated. I just look. You can if if people go with <laughs> and it shouldn't be just based on numbers. I I should say that too. Um, well, what, what you're you, making it about just based on numbers right now. Mike, I didn't think <laughs> you were going to trigger is, me today. It's true. I think Pascal Siakam probably has a bigger role on the Raptors than than Sabonis does on the Pacers. But if he's not number one on the Pacers this season, he's one A, one B, and I think he could say the same thing about Siakam and Lowry. I just. <laughs> Look, I if if the blind pole wins, it's because people are gonna look at the the real true shooting percentage that you post, and that's just not something I'm gonna subscribe to because Pascal Siakam's level of shot difficulty is just going to mean just so much more to me, at least. So I'm I'm, would, I'm not yeah, even be, saying it would be a good. I don't know how I would even include this, but like <laughs> some kind of factor in those polls about you know this is um. I don't know how difficult shots are is how you put it, but I just don't know how you would sum that up in a tidy 280 character tweet. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised you didn't pick Siakam to start. I think a lot of people are going to just be give pause for injuries, but I had just an arbitrary cutoff of, of 30 games played at this point um, to go here. So uh, I'm just surprised that you gave it to, to Sabonis. Uh, Embiid, I'm also a little bit surprised he's been so dominant, but I guess you're just penalizing him for the games played. Yeah, that that was the biggest thing um, with Embiid. I, it, it would be hard to argue much else beyond that. I feel like this is wow. Still also, just... there was um, Chris Middleton. I so he's obviously going to be one of my reserves, but I I thought for a minute about making him a starter too. He's he's been I think wildly underrated this season. His numbers are suppressed by how little. Um, Milwaukee's main guys have to play like I think he's he's averaging under 30 minutes a game um, but if you do it per 36 minutes or per 75 possessions however you want to do it the guy's basically averaging like 24 on 50 40 90 shooting which is just absurd yeah he's been he's been spectacular this year and I do think people undervalue him as a number two because he's not the ideal number two so uh, that I don't know if I would have put him in the starting lineup. I would have respected that way more than the Demetrius bonus pick that right now. <laughs> I've got a. I'm playing like uh, serious defense over here, trying to to uh, find any way to justify this position at this point. But I think I think my poll is going to help me. <laughs> I, I don't doubt it because of the way you'll frame it. I'm sure. Uh, I did consider putting Jimmy Butler as a starter over Siakam or B just because of the games played. But I ultimately. Oh, just- you have. So you have Embiid and Siakam and Giannis. Yes. For some reason, I thought you had Butler in there too. But go ahead. He, I think it could. I think those three, Giannis is has to be in there to me. And then I think you could. It, it's kind of interchangeable with those three to me. That you could go. You could go Butler. Uh, he's played in a lot more games than both Embiid and, and Siakam. I know his efficiency is down, but just what he's doing as as a passer and, and then the level of defense that he's playing this year. Uh, just clearly been one of the uh, one of the five or to six best players in the Eastern Conference this season. So uh, he is one of my reserves. I'll give you my other reserves. This will include. Uh, so my other front court reserves were Jimmy Butler, 
Chris Middleton, and Bam Adebayo. And then my I have Kyle Lowry and Trey Young as backcourt reserves, and my wild cards were Jason Tatum and Ben Simmons. Run those by me again. So let's break it down. Let's go back to the backcourt. My backcourt reserves, and I have Beal and Walker as starters. I have Lowry and Trey Young as backcourt okay. reserves. Um, so I actually I, – I don't know – if they still do reserves the way they did once upon a time where it's two guards, three front court, two wild card. Um, so lately I've just been doing one through seven on reserves and I don't, I honestly don't know which way it goes. I actually tried to find this recently cause I did something. Yeah. I was uh, just using the rubric from last year and I didn't really tackle it. Like it needs to be a wild card. Anyway, I ended up doing, uh, I just ended up picking three backcourt reserves and four front court reserves. So maybe that's yeah. how I should. So my backcourt <laughs> reserves are Ben Simmons Kyle Lowry and Trey Young. That is, I would guess that my um, my picks are going to come close to fitting that mold anyway. Um, but here's here's what I have for <laughs> reserves. Uh, as Samuel L. Jackson says in uh, Jurassic Park, "Hold on to your butts." Um, Joel Embiid, Chris Middleton, who I already mentioned, Bam Adebayo, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, and then I've got two Raptors: Lowry and Siakam. Okay, so let's go. Who are your backcourt reserves? Backcourt reserves, if I did organize it that way, would be Lowry and Young. And then if we were going to do three front court guys, it would be Middleton, Embiid, and Adebayo, which would leave um, – who did I leave off? Siakam and somebody. Is a Tatum? Did I say Tatum yet? Okay, so you have – Siakam uh, and Tatum is wild cards. So, uh, all right, so we're there on the reserves. You just didn't pick Bradley Beal as an all-star at all. Which is what I <laughs> – I was waiting for your reaction to that. Um, I tried to brace you for it when we discussed him being a starter for you. I just – that that negative of a net rating swing on a losing team um, on below-average efficiency was just really hard for me to get over. And obviously, I didn't get over it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> – he is in the, the first. You sound you sound like you've been betrayed. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, the Bradley Beal thing. I guess I kind of understand. Um, it, I guess the Wizards have been bad on on defense with him, but the the, the Hawks have been terrible with Trey Young on defense as well. His net rating is still positive because he's had such a profound impact offensively. Uh, Washington's drop off is starker on the defensive end with Beal without with Beal than it is for. The Hawks with Young. I don't actually know how much that matters because Trey Young is probably the worst defender uh, in the league or or right up there with them. So uh, that that's a little bit more justifiable, and especially when you're not when you didn't. I guess I tethered I myself to picking three three backcourt guys, and there's a chance that maybe Young would have been the one left off for me. It would have been between him and Simmons. To, like if I if I only went two backcourt reserves for some reason. I think it's fair, uh, very fair, actually, that you just brought up <laughs> Trey Young and Bradley Beal because all the the reasons I'd use to justify Beal not being on could, and you just did, thrown at, could be thrown at Trey Young. Um, I guess we just differ on who we think has been better this season. And I just, I think Trey Young has been a better player than Bradley Beal this season. He certainly does more as a table setter for his teammates, although Beal is probably underrated in that facet of the game. I think Young is already one of the best passers in the league. Yeah, that was apparent last year. the The rebuttals are gonna the rebuttals here are gonna be so terrible because I just wasn't prepared for just so much <laughs> variation in the takes. 
I was when not I, prepared to go to war for Pascal Siakam versus Demantis Sabonis. That was not something that I was prepared to do. Today. I was I was just thinking. I feel like this is the most we've disagreed on a podcast in like years, and I, it's probably good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my <laughs> eyes are bleeding. I mean, my ears are bleeding. But so my my front court reserves. I have four of them. You have more than me, obviously. I have Butler, Chris Middleton, Bam Adebayo, and Jason Tatum. Okay, and I have all four of them too, so no no arguments for me on that. The uh, Getting to just East snubs really quickly, ones that were tough to leave off, I really wanted to find a way to put Devontae Graham in. Uh, he has one of the highest yeah. net rating swings in the league, actually. That was going to be my case, but he's been uh, – he went through a little bit of a slump. And he's kind of fallen off, yeah. So I, I struggled to pick him. Jalen Brown uh, hit a rut, kind of came out of it. He was someone I strongly considered. Zach Levine – it was just I couldn't look the the wiz the the Bulls are just they're still bad offensively when he's on the floor he's hitting a ton of ridiculously difficult shots and I I think he might be a little bit better now than than most people may realize uh, and the the offensive net rating swing is there it it probably would have been a matter of could I justify putting him over Kyle Lowry. Uh, or Trey Young or Ben Simmons, and I re- I just couldn't get there for some reason. He he, I would not be angry though if he made made the team. I don't know that I would call him this hardcore snub if he doesn't make it though. Should that make any sense? Oh, I think that definitely makes sense. Um, I would also add. So I think those are those are good people to mention as snubs. I would add Eric Bledsoe. Um, I didn't do a ton of research on him because I ended up just kind of clipping him pretty early. Um, he, he has missed some time, but I think once again, he's been really good defensively for them. Um, and Milwaukee, it, once again, they're, they're playing like one of these all time juggernauts on pace for 70 wins or high sixties, whatever it is now. Um, generally speaking, when we have a team like that, there's conversations of like when it was the Hawks that one year, it's, you know, should they get four all-stars in, um, when it's the warriors, it's, you know, they're going to get three all-stars. And so to me, I, I think Bledsoe's just been such an important part of how good that team is. Um, and they're, they're really, they're different than some of those other juggernaut teams because the only real like super duper star is Giannis. And then everybody else is just um, for the most part fits really well. I think, I think Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe kind of rise above the rest of the team. So they, they're interesting to me. Um, Nikola Vucevic has quietly been really, really good again this season. He was an all-star last year and he got off to kind of a slow start this season, but I think he's been good of late. Um, I'm looking through a list of guys. I, I I think that's probably it on top of the guys that you already mentioned. I don't know if Andre Drummond deserves a shout. Um, he didn't get one for me. I, I also had, I had Bledsoe too, listed among my snubs, Brogdon. Brogdon, Brogdon deserves a, a shout. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, you could probably throw some cursory consideration for Kevin Love. Uh, I also had Vucevic and then Spencer Dinwiddie as well uh, received some That's a good consideration yeah. for me. And and yeah. by the way, to the Levine point that I was making before, I just don't know if he's a guy who makes his teammates better. And I'm not even trying to insult him, but I think you could – so the Bulls with him on the court are in the 31st percentile of offensive efficiency. And while that's not like – incredibly worse than what the Hawks are with young, which is in the 41st percentile. The bulls have so much more talent on their roster. And I'm not trying to penalize Levine for that. A lot of that could be the coaching of Jim Boylan. I just don't know that he elevates the play of guys around him where it's very clear to me that Bradley Beal 
and Trey Young and, and obviously Kyle Lowry and Ben Simmons do that for their teammates. Yeah, I think that's that's totally fair. I'm I'm in on all those um snubs. And obviously Bradley Beal would be a pretty big snub for me. I believe if we move on to the West backcourt starters, we will have consensus. Yeah, this <laughs> no surprises here. Um hopefully. James Harden and Luka Doncic. Yes, those those are my two. And I don't even know how you could pick any other two unless it was it'd be interesting if they classified LeBron as a point guard this year though and you had to choose but two of those three to start yeah that'd be more difficult if there was like some um positions were more malleable it'd be easy to just say one through three is those guys uh the people who cite as like a detraction Luka Doncic's three-point percentage or even James Harden's three-point percent or his his actually came up I forgot he was kind of low and that was up but if they cite Doncic. What's Harden's now though? Because his recent stretch—that's um, true. He did turn in a one of seventeen. I think he was in that loss to the. Oh, he's still at he's still at thirty six point one percent. So right around average. Yeah, and, and Doncic is at thirty two point nine. Which I admit, you look at it and it's like, eh, but you just—I mean—he's taking these these step backs and he's yeah. He's attempting and the other thing with game. him is it's it's not like a great drag on his true shooting percentage. I think he's still right around sixty. Um, so I, th- I think what he does with all those threes is keep people on their toes on the perimeter, and then he's able to drive easier. And he's just been phenomenal on those drives. Yeah, there's just I, – I don't think there's anyone else who could receive consideration. That's not even like a disrespect to Damian Lillard or something, but it's Doncic and Harden. Uh, front court, I'm prepared for some variance here, especially given how, how the East the Eastern <laughs> Conference All-Star team went. Okay, so um... – <laughs> I've already tried to defend what I'm about to do with a blind poll. You may have seen my tweet this morning. Um, but I've got LeBron James as a front court guy. That's an obvious one. Kawhi Leonard is my next one. And I think there could be some pushback on that. I don't know about from you, but maybe from others, given the load management um, and the way that a lot of people feel about that. But he's just been out of his mind lately. There was a pretty decent stretch of the season where he was actually – below average in efficiency, but his, his recent stretch of games, and I'm trying to pull it up now as I, as I stall. Um, oh, I have it because that was what kind of pushed me. Okay, the games played made me a little bit uneasy, but his recent stretch has been, so over his past uh, 11 games, he's averaging 29.6 points, 5.4 assists, 2.5 steals, slashing, I don't have his true shooting percentage pulled up, but he's slashing 50, 38, 93. That's yeah, just, it's absurd <laughs> what he's doing um, this season. So he he makes it in despite the load management and the games missed. And now you ready for this? I'm going with uh, Nikola Jokic over Anthony Davis. Is that crazy? Uh, I would have I would have thought that the one that you would put Doncic or Rudy Gobert over would be Kawhi Leonard because of the games played. That's not anywhere near as egregious as Sabonis over basically <laughs> half the East. So many better alternatives you could have gone with. Well, I disagree. And uh, more on that later for anybody who cares. But uh, here's my thing with Jokic and Davis. And like I said, I've already done a blind pull on this one. I just I think he's more important to the Nuggets than Davis is to the Lakers. I think the difference in, you know, when the Lakers play without LeBron and Lakers play without Davis has been pretty – um revealing this season and obviously Davis has been great he's going to be he's going to be one of my reserves but I think Jokic is clearly clearly the engine of the Nuggets um 
once again, after his really slow start, he's back to averaging basically like 20, 10, and 6, I think. Um, he just does everything for them, and he's he's been phenomenal for the last couple of months. Um, I think he's sort of reclaimed his position as the best center in the NBA, and so he's he is my last front court starter for the West. My, what was tough for me to grapple with when looking at him as a starter would be that he was just so inconsistent for almost the first 20 games of the season, which is it just... Took- it took a long time for him to get going, which is it's remarkable that his numbers are where they're at now, given how slow he started. Yeah, but I, I was just looking at wire to wire performance. So I went with Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I think Davis has been by far the better wire to wire player. He's missed some time now. So maybe that's something you can penalize him for. And I, I agree with your point that he's not as important to the Lakers as Nikola Jokic is to the Nuggets. Uh, just that being said, his numbers are still out of this world. He's had some really big scoring performances. Uh, the the Lakers, maybe they should be running more pick and rolls with him, but they've made a habit of, of featuring him. He's been a monster on defense for most of the year, uh, has just had those huge scoring outbursts. It'd be nice if he could shoot a better percentage on threes, but he is at least taking them uh, at a career high clip, essentially uh, shooting 55.2% on two pointers as well. So he, it was, it, it's easy for me. I get the case for putting someone over him, I guess, a little bit, but Jokic took way too long to get going. And we're talking like, you know, 15% of the season at least, if not close to a quarter of the year for him to reach what I would call all-star form. And when we're only dealing with a half-season sample size, basically, that's just too long for me. The other thing about Davis, and I I should check this again before I spout it off, but one of the big things for him this season is his defense. And there's this big propaganda machine saying that he's, you know, he's definitely going to be defensive player of the year. Um, last time I checked the Lakers defense was actually better when he was on the floor. And and now I'm checking and it's just dead. Even um, it doesn't move at all, whether he's on or off the floor. And so I'm just, I'm just not sure his impact is quite as big as some people think it is. His overall net rating swing is actually negative right now too, which ranks him right in the 50th percentile. Well, um, so he's obviously been really, really good, but I just, I just feel like Jokic has been slightly better this season. The, the problem with that when you're going. By the way, I think there's, there's a decent chance I'm going to lose on this poll. <laughs> I've been putting it together. That's the bonus Siakam one, but we'll you're going to lose because it's the one. It's probably the single worst take you've ever had. No, uh, it's not. You so if you were starting a team, you want Sabonis over Pascal Siakam. Um, that's not the question. It's who's been better this season. Okay. Either question is the, the answer should be obvious. So to the Davis thing, though, it's, it's really tough for me to read. I I guess you, we could flip this and say if, if the difference was larger, but when the Lakers only have to play defense for between 10 and 13 minutes a game without Anthony Davis on the court. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Good point. Their second unit has just been better defensively than I thought they ever could be. But I, I do think you have a case here. I didn't think you, and I'm not even saying, I, w- I just would have thought that if you went Jokic or even Gobert, that Kawhi Leonard would have been the guy you bounced over Anthony Davis is, is and basically I, my main point. I think there's an argument to do that for sure. Just the game's missed. I think that's that's a real uh, legitimate concern. Well, actually, now that I'm looking, oh yeah, Kawhi, ha- I was about to say, Kawhi has missed more games than Davis. Davis was closer than I realized to that though. But Kawhi has only, I think he's played more than people realize. Um, like he's played more than Carl Anthony Towns has. I think what's he missed like 10 games. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has missed. Yeah. He's missed 10 games. 
So I, you know, I'm not like, I'm not really struggling with that. He only had one stretch where he missed more than one in a row. He missed three in a row back in November. Other than that, they've been spread out pretty well. Um, he's only missed uh, one in this in the last eleven. I think that stretch that you laid out. So I, I, I generally okay with it uh, for now. My backcourt reserves, I have four of them. I have Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, and this might be the controversial one. I have Chris Paul. I don't think that's controversial at all. He did just roast the Rockets. Perfect. Yeah, he's, he, he's been um, unreal. I actually have all four of those guys, too. You said Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, and Chris Paul, right? Yes. Yep, I've got all of them. Um, I was trying to see what the backcourt alternative was for. Someone who I considered probably more heavily than I, I thought I was going to was John Morant. I'm not going to lie. I yeah. would. I guess you could go Westbrook. I just, uh, the minutes that he's played without Harden are getting better. So that's something to look towards. And he's been on, I guess you'd call it a mini hot streak relative to how he was shooting previously i just i couldn't do it i couldn't do it with demar Derozan, even though he's he's shooting basically he's really 85 percent from two yeah. over the past couple yeah. of weeks so i i really finding alternatives was just a little bit no, no one swayed me to the point where i was like you know what maybe i shouldn't pick chris paul not even shay gilgis alexander i thought about him too yeah i don't think there's anything wrong uh with going with Chris Paul, I think he's been fantastic this season and he's playing a little bit different role than he has in years past and adapting to it very, very well. He's not in complete control of the ball and maybe playing with James Harden prepared him for that. Um, but I think this is, yeah, this is a career low for assists for him, but his, his efficiency is just off the charts, even career though he's high not, at the rim at age 85 yeah, or whatever. He and is. yeah, the <laughs> age 34, but still, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because his percentage at the rim is 85.7%, which is just wild. That's like a Dwight Howard number. No, um, he's, he's shooting 85.7% at the rim. Yeah. That, that has to be wrong. No, where, look it up. Well, where are you for that one? Basketball reference. And I, somebody pointed this out to me like a couple weeks ago. And Jesus I thought, Jesus Christ, I did not <laughs> realize he was at 85.7%. I thought he was Isn't at like crazy? 68. Yeah, I, I looked it up and I thought when I first saw it, I thought that's got to be like leading the league. And so I I checked and it was behind a decent number of big guys. Um, but that's still that's like rim rolling center territory. He it's, clearly, it's just he doesn't absurd. get there that much. Six point four percent of his shots are coming from there. But that number is still absurd. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. If we, if we did the totals, it would probably be like 25 of 28 or something like that. Um but it is it's a ridiculous number and let's just let's just flesh this out his field goal percentage from 3 to 10 feet 47 from 10 to 16 is 52 um from 16 feet to the three point line is 51 and then three point percentage is 37 like he's just scoring uh very efficiently from everywhere on the floor and even though he's not in complete command of every single possession he's he's clearly the engineer of that offense and they're now i think they're two games back of Houston um if <laughs> I don't think this is going to happen. I think Houston will right the ship eventually. But if OKC finished ahead of the Rockets in the standings, wow, um, what a story that would be. And I think he's a huge part of it. So you'll get no gripes from me over Chris Paul. He's he's an easy reserve for me, too. Chris Paul, 67 true shooting in the clutch, too, this season. Jeez, that's unbelievable. Uh, just, um, just a monster. Did you have any additional backcourt reserves or just those four? 
Uh, I think that's it. And then another, so well, we've already talked about Anthony Davis. So he's obviously a reserve for me. Rudy Gobert is a reserve for me. And then the one where I think I'll probably get some pushback. And I'm not even, you know, I'm not real sold on this one myself. I could probably be talked out of it, but I'm going with Montrez Harrell. I was getting prepared for Joe Ingles or some shit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, I'll make the case. But... <laughs> okay, so you had your front court reserves are who? Gobert, Davis, and Harrell. So we align because I have Jokic as one of my reserves, and you had him as a starter. I have Gobert as well. Uh, where we differ is I have Brandon Ingram over and, Trez. Yeah, I think right as I was saying that, I thought there's a very strong case for Brandon Ingram. Yeah, I mean, he's he's averaging close to 26 points per game on 60 true shooting. That's just monstrous. And the improvements he's made, they're, he's been playing so well for long enough that I think we have to accept this as his new normal. But he's made just such a demonstrative improvement in some areas that it almost makes you feel uneasy. He's gone from shooting around uh, 66% at the foul line through his first three seasons to 86% now. Uh, he's shooting almost 40% from three on nearly quadruple the number of attempts his his career his three-point attempt rate has exploded he's taking uh his three-point attempt rate over the past two seasons it was higher as a rookie when his lucid uh usage wow his usage was so low <laughs> but his three-point attempt rate it's a term for a different podcast <laughs> his, his three-point attempt rate was 13.4 the past two seasons in la it's 33.6 this season so that's what almost makes you uneasy uh, but he's been so good, I, I really just can't uh, find an argument against him. Maybe this doesn't matter in terms of the all-star conversation, but could there be sort of this regression once Zion Williamson makes his debut, uh, potentially? Uh, even his defense, though, has really picked up. It was before Derek Favors came back. It wasn't showing up in the uh, the splits when I was looking at them, but watching him defensively, he could just be super disruptive, and, and the combination of him and Der Derek Favors has has worked really well for New Orleans. And so he was actually a pretty easy pick for me, but I do think I'm interested to hear your case for, for Montrez Harrell. I do think there is one. I'm, I'm going to call an audible and go with Brandon Ingram. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe um, apparently I'm also wrong about the case for, for Trez because you just backed out. of it. Here's a, uh, so I, again, I'm going to take Brandon Ingram. I, I think his role and everything that he's done is a little bit more impressive, but I'll go ahead and, and say why I have, or had Montrez Harrell in there and why I think he would be a snub. Um, 23.6 points per 75 possessions, um, 8.7 rebounds. He's, he's like sort of the energy of that team. Um, and it, it's, you know, that's not quantifiable, but I think there is something to the guy who's just, and you could say it's Patrick Beverly too. Maybe they're, they're sort of um, split those responsibilities. But he's been phenomenal off the bench for them. If we want to just look at his basic numbers, in, in fewer than 30 minutes per game, he's averaging 19-7, almost two assists, over a block a game. Um, his true shooting percentage is over 60. And I think one thing that really goes in his favor is the Clippers are a good team, obviously. They're very talented. They have a very talented starting five. And to come off the bench and, and make the team better, I think that's significant. Um, his net rating swing is in the 74th percentile. So 
he's he's just been a really positively impactful player for them for a couple of years. I think this is he's he's hitting his peak now. So I think it was probably would have been fine to give him some recognition, but I do think what Ingram has done is a little bit more impressive. Yeah, I'd be I I'd like maybe the case is that you know so many of just Andrew uh, Andrew Wiggins. What is it? What the hell's the matter with me right now? <laughs> I, I'm trying to just like did not it. think that his name would be mentioned in this podcast. Yeah, maybe like the case <laughs> is just like Ingram is is his resume inflated a little bit because he's hitting so many assisted threes. Uh, I'm not really going to quibble over that. Uh, something I was looking up, by the way, is Chris Paul has almost as many points off unassisted threes as Zach Levine. Chris Paul just ageless this year. Yeah, but, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, to- way off topic for that, though. But for, for Brandon Ingram, the, the combination of his scoring on on his efficiency, just, just I, I can't really get over it. And so he's just when you look at how important he is to just – New Orleans' shot creation, I guess, is I don't I don't know. I'm I'm happy that you moved over that you went over to to the Brandon Ingram side because his case just seems really airtight to me right yeah. now. And the fact that he's played this well for uh, almost forty games for his specific appearances is is absolutely incredible. And he's going to get the max so quickly in free agency. It's going to be interesting to see how that contract plays out. There are the the question I would have for you though is. Do you give any credence to the debate that he currently is better than Ben Simmons? Um, I guess it depends on what you want. I think the argument is there. Um, I I would probably say Simmons is a barely better overall player. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's a very real argument there. The other thing about Ingram that I was thinking as you were talking to is um, that game against the Jazz recently where he just took over down the stretch and in overtime that was one of the first times I've seen him sometimes you get this feeling with superstar NBA players towards the end of a game there's just a feeling of inevitability that so-and-so is going to take over the game there's nothing the other team can do Um, and I felt that with Brandon Ingram and I thought this this guy is a star this season Uh, there was nothing Utah one of the better defensive teams in the league could do to slow him down and so I think he's he's I'm I'm glad you talked me into it. There's and what's so so he's averaging 25.8 points per 75 possessions. Uh, the list of players this season who are doing that with a true shooting right in line with his. Uh, let's just say I'll even expand it to 59 or above. There's 10 of them: Joel Embiid, Kemba Walker, Trey Young, Doncic. Then there's Ingram, Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, and the leader in the pack. I bet you will not guess. The highest true shooting percentage of anyone averaging of the 10 play of all the players averaging. I think I know who it is because I just looked it up. Is it Devin Devin Booker? Yeah, it's Devin Booker. So those are all all all-stars. And so you look at – you're just looking at that though, like the company that he's keeping there. If you just look at even 25 points per 75 possessions with a true shooting north of of 60, it's Ingram, Davis, Lillard, Giannis, Harden, and Booker. Uh, Like you said, watching him, it it feels like he's just a star, at at least right now. Yeah. Well, um, any, we, well, I was just going to ask what your toughest snubs for the West overall were. Carl Anthony Towns was tough. Towns me, is a big one. But he, just the games for me played. He yeah, was, that's all it is for me too. Um, again, Russell Westbrook and DeMar DeRozan receive consideration for me. It would not shock me if Westbrook ends up making it over Ingram, Mitchell, or Paul. Which would be, to me, uh, a shame. <laughs> 
because I, I just don't think he's been better than those guys. Aldridge um, has been pretty good this year, especially since he started shooting threes. Paul George, uh, it was the games played for me. He's missed a ton of games, yeah. Daniil Gallinari, again, having a sneaky, ridiculous season. Yeah. The, Utah's not going to get three All-Stars, but Bojan Bogdanovich has been really good. 20-plus point per game score. I think he's tops in the league in net rating swing still, and he's you know plus 60 true shooting percentage. Um, I don't think he's going to get any real consideration, but I thought I'd just throw that name out there. I think all the guys you mentioned are good. Um, I'm scanning. I don't. I don't know if there's any like egregious snubs that we haven't already mentioned. The other two that receive consideration for me, like I said, were Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, whose offense for some reason I just don't yet fully trust when I'm watching him, uh, but it works a lot of the time. <laughs> so, uh, and then again, I don't know that I could make a clear cut case for him, but but John Morant re- received. I, I thought about him for way longer when I was doing this than I thought I was going to. I think that's fair. Memphis is, I thought they would be scrappy. Um, but I think even people who were high on them could not have seen this coming. And he's, he's obviously, I think he's probably the biggest part of it. It, it, You might argue that it's triple J or something else, but I I think it's probably John Morant. Um, so I think that's fair to give him some, some consideration too. All right. Should we recap them real quick before we sign off? Yeah. All right. I've got in the East, for starters, Kemba Walker, Ben Simmons, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jimmy Butler, and currently leading the blind pole 62-38, to 38, DeMontis Sabonis. And then my reserves are Chris Middleton, Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, Trey Young, and a pair of Raptors, Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. My starters for the East are Kemba Walker, Bradley Beal, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Pascal Siakam, Joel Embiid. My reserves are Kyle Lowry, Trey Young, Jimmy Butler, Chris Middleton, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons. Shout out Bam Adebayo's defensive footwork. Just always fun to watch for me. Yeah. Um, before we do the West, I don't think we had, like, we we disagreed on once a couple starters, but other than that, we had the same 12 guys, right? I did not have Sabonis on my all-star roster. No, I mean in the West. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. We did have the same 12 guys. Okay. Because I swayed you at the end. You're welcome, listeners. (laughs) Starters in the West, I have Harden, Doncic, uh, LeBron, Kawhi, and Jokic. And then my reserves are Gobert, Lillard, Anthony Davis, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, and Brandon Ingram. My starters in the West are Doncic, Harden, Kawhi, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. My reserves are Damian Lillard, Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert, Nicole Jokic, Brandon Ingram, Donovan Mitchell, and Chris Paul. And with that, if you want to uh, skewer Dan for his all-star takes today, you can find him at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E on Twitter. If you want to praise me for my all-star picks, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. That's the only reason you can find me on Twitter, by the way, is to praise me. Um, you can find the show at Hardwood Knox. The podcast is at, uh, I just said that, the podcast is Hardwood Knox. The sponsor or the network is at Blue Wire Pods. As always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And if you've already done that, tell your friends and family to do the same. And until next time, <clears throat> we leave you with the shout out to Ben Ahudri, Kyle Anderson, and Domantas Sabonis. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, 
only on Showtime.